This is the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. My name is Sarah Jefford and I'm a surrogate and a surrogacy lawyer. In this episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with Amber, who describes herself as a serial egg donor and has had the unlikely pleasure of helping many families uh, have children. In this episode, she reflects on her experiences as an egg donor, which included horrific uh, symptoms from IVF, and yet she still persisted. Have a listen to the episode, and then I've also put up some links on my website about egg donation and some more resources about that subject. My name is Amber. I am 36. I am the mother to an 11-year-old and 12-year-old, and I have been an egg donor for the last five years. Uh, at the moment, there are six children born from my eggs, and there is another child born due in June. That's great. So tell me, how did you become an egg donor? What motivated you to take that step? Uh, so when I was 19 years old, I started working as a private nanny for a family that had a set of twins. And the mother was 48 when she had her children. And as a 19-year-old, I never really considered how a 48-year-old woman might possibly have children. And so I did at the time question her about it and sort of say, you're very lucky to have achieved a pregnancy at your age. And she said, well, we did use IVF. And I said, you know, well, it's, it's quite wonderful. And I thought that she was a really wonderful mother. I was probably, it changed a lot of my perspectives about parents and the, the age that people are when they have babies and children. Um, and I worked for them for four and a half years. So after f about the four year mark, when her children were getting close to age five, and they told me um, that they knew how babies were born. And so I said, oh, I'd love to hear how babies are born, assuming that they would tell me that, you know, that the stork brings them or they might actually have an, a proper idea about the anatomical way that children are conceived. And um, they told me that a nice lady um, gives you eggs and you put them in your tummy and they grow into babies. And I said, oh, hang on. <laughs> okay. And I said, oh, so what, what kind of nice lady? And they said, oh, you know, you've met her. She comes to our birthday parties. And at that point, I realized that the woman that I'd seen at their birthday parties for the last four years, who looked incredibly similar to the children, was actually their egg donor. And oh, wow. it sort of blew it blew my mind because it's not something I'd ever considered. And I think everyone else was quite aware of it, but I was young and um, I suppose that it was, you know, we're also talking about we're getting close to almost 20 years ago now. So that was at a time when I suppose it was less likely that people were using egg donors. And I think that there is already a little bit of shame around people using IVF in general. And so that's why a lot of people are quite quiet and reserved about sharing that. Um, aspect of how they conceive their children. Mm. Did so, you think about doing it before you had your own kids or did you wait until you'd finished your own family? Well, I actually did a bit of research into it at that time. So I was um, about 22 when um, the children told me that that's how, you know, they had come about. And I had my children when I was 24 and 25. So I kind of didn't really have enough time to even consider becoming an egg donor before I had my children. Um, but the thing that I thought at the time when, when I sort of considered it was, well, this woman is a really wonderful mother and it's fantastic that she's had the opportunity to have children because she met her partner later in life and had missed the boat in terms of using her own eggs. And so I thought, you know, this is a fabulous um, concept. The fact that they have ongoing um, contact and a relationship with her is also excellent. Um, 
if I have my children young enough, then I think that that might be something that I would be interested in doing. And so I sort of popped that to the back of my mind and I did a little bit of internet research after I had my children and I actually rang a fertility clinic when my children were both quite young and asked them about becoming an egg donor. And the advice that I was given was that I shouldn't um, even consider donating um, my eggs until I'd finished breastfeeding and I breastfed both of my children until they were four years old. So I basically mm -hmm. just went, you know, I'm going to make a commitment to breastfeed my children full term and I will then go on to become an egg donor after that. And clearly I'm young enough that this is, you know, I'm not going to have to be concerned. You know, I was at the time um, 29 when mm -hmm. I sort of stopped um, breastfeeding my daughter. So I sort of, I had concerns about, about having to be in a rush to donate my eggs because I knew that realistically speaking, if, as long as I was under 38, that I would be a good candidate as an egg donor. And how did you make that next step in terms of finding recipients? So initially I thought about donating through a clinic and when I rang up and talked to the clinic, their process sounded quite difficult and I also couldn't get a lot of information about it. So I started to do a little bit of internet research and I found Egg Donation Australia. So I joined that group when I was 30 and I started to read through the forum topics on there. I started to join the Facebook group. I started chatting to people. I posted an introduction. I came along to some meets and I started to gather some information from the people around me and from people who had already donated, people who were looking to donate, recipients. And that gave me a bit more of an insight and I was able to then refine the process and think about, well, what do I want? because previously I hadn't really considered what kind of relationship I'd want. I just knew that I wanted to, to be able to have a form of connection and relationship with the children that were born from my eggs because I knew that psychologically the best thing for them would be to have open access to their donor. Mm. So joining the group was quite a big step in terms of supporting me in that thought process because I could see a lot of evidence um, and a lot of research that is shared within that group that indicated to me that it was definitely the best option for me and most likely for most donor conceived people to have clear access to their donor. And so I wanted to find somebody who was thinking along the same lines as myself and who wanted to maintain a relationship because my children also deserved to have a relationship with their genetic half siblings. And so that was also one of the factors that that was quite strong with me in terms of what is important and how do we process and move forward from here. Where, besides um, agreeing that they would have contact and they'd allow for contact between the child and yourself, was there any other criteria that you set in terms of meeting and deciding on recipients? So I, I wanted to meet people who I thought we could have an organic friendship with. I didn't want it to be awkward or forced. I didn't want to feel like... I was going to be in a scenario where I was having to request or ask or push for a contact or for photos or for, you know, the opportunity to meet their child. I wanted to make sure that the people that I was considering donating to were really on the same page with me in terms of future contact, future relationships, ongoing contact, ongoing access and a natural organic friendship. And so I selected people who I thought had processed their infertility, who were quite at ease with using donor um, gametes, who didn't have a sense of angst or concern about having a relationship with, with their donor 
and with their donor having a relationship with their children. And so for me, it was almost like a vetting process where I talked to quite a lot of people and most of my discussions were based upon trying to, I guess, develop a natural friendship with them, but also trying to ensure that from my perspective that I'd done due diligence to ensure that they weren't going to be the kind of people that might potentially disconnect um, quite you know, swiftly after they'd gotten their eggs um, because I had heard some horror stories. And I think that that is something that was quite present in my mind is that I wanted to make sure that the people that I was talking to and considering were really quite committed to ensuring that their children were really well supported and that the connection was maintained for the, the benefit of the resultant children. So um, in terms of with my first couple, I, uh, I probably spoke to them for about four or five months before we decided to proceed. They were also talking to another egg donor at the time. Um, there was a personal issue between um, all of us, which ended up being quite interesting. And the deciding factor for all of us at that point was actually the way that we resolved that um, together with myself and the recipient couple, whereas the other egg donor um, behaved quite um, unusually in that circumstance and didn't really show a level of maturity. And I think that that was quite helpful in terms of, moving forward with all of us because they realized that if there was ever going to be um, contentious issues or um, any problems that arose during the course of their child's lifetime that we would be able to find a peaceful resolution and discuss it in an adult mature way. Um, so once we moved past that step we then developed a deeper friendship. We spent a lot of time hanging out. They got to know my children quite well. Um, we then started to attend all of our appointments. So uh, anytime that you do an egg donation cycle, you need to attend generally to individual sessions. If you're partnered, then your partner needs to be present at those sessions as well. And they need to also consent to you donating your gametes. And then you need to do between one and three joint sessions. So in my case, I did one joint session with my recipients and my recipients also had to do, I think, three sessions by themselves. Um, they'd also previously had six months of donor conception counselling through the IVF clinic so I felt that they were really quite well prepared and I think the clinic also felt that they were um, you know very well informed and educated and and had really considered um, what issues might crop up as a result of having a donor conceived child mm. um, so following that there was blood tests there's karyotyping there is a baseline trans transvaginal ultrasound which determines how your follicles are and whether or not your anatomy um, is accessible so that they can do um, egg pickup. And then it was two weeks of injections uh, and you're given a light, light general. So it's basically sedation um, and they pick up your eggs and then they inseminate them. That's great. That's a really good roundup. So what was that like for somebody like yourself that hadn't gone through IVF, um, experiencing IVF as a donor? Um, for me, my first cycle was really difficult. Uh, I wasn't expecting it to be as difficult as it was because I sort of considered I was 30. I hadn't really had to think too much about conceiving my own children. I was a very fertile person. I'd never had to worry at all. If anything, I'd spent all of my adult life avoiding pregnancy. Um, and so for me, um, I suppose that I I figured that it would be a very easy process and that it wouldn't be difficult at all. I wasn't concerned about doing needles. I'm not needle phobic. I'm, I'm quite comfortable doing needles. My background is in nursing. 
So for me, um, that aspect of it, I was quite comfortable with. I wasn't prepared for the extreme nausea and vomiting that I had as a result of my cycles. And that was really unexpected. And I also didn't have a lot of support from the clinic about that. So I sort of just copped it on the chin and I didn't actually even really contact the clinic to discuss with them the fact that I was so extremely violently ill. Um, and it wasn't actually until afterwards when I flippantly commented to someone and said, you know, I lost eight kilos during the two weeks of cycling. And they said, wow, like, how is that possible? And I said, I actually just couldn't keep anything down for two weeks. Mm. Um, so I think that for me that that was really unexpected. And also the outcomes from my first cycle were quite poor. And so I was felt, I, I was left feeling like I potentially wasn't such a good candidate to be an egg donor because we only got four mature eggs. And um, given that I had over 20 follicles, I, I kind of assumed that maybe my, all of my assumptions about my fertility were really incorrect and that actually I might not be as fertile as I assumed that I was. Did you talk to the clinic about your reaction to the cycle? Because that, I mean, it is fairly unusual to be that unwell during an IVF cycle. Um, I spoke to them about it in sort of the two days before egg pickup and the doctor commented that while some people, you know, felt nauseous, um, you know, sort of similar to morning sickness, that um, it was really rare and that it might just be that I was really sensitive to hormones and that it, it would, would just be something that would, would cease when I had egg pickup. And that was really what happened, you know, within about 24 hours of egg pickup, I felt incredibly fine and back to my normal self. Um, That's great. But I, I think that I, I was concerned about worrying my recipients. I didn't want to upset them. I was already a little bit, um, I guess, protective of their emotions. I didn't want them to feel bad badly and I think that they already felt quite responsible for me putting my body through um through an IVF cycle and so I I probably downplayed my symptoms quite a lot to them because I um I just didn't want them to feel bad so mm -hmm. I, I probably kept a lot of that stuff quite close to my chest because at the end of the day I wasn't dehydrated to the point that I needed to be in hospital um I was just really unwell and felt really dodgy for, you know, two weeks. And, but I also knew it was finite. I knew that this wasn't going to con continue. And I knew that there was, it was only really going to happen for 14 days. So mm. in my brain, I thought, you know, if you could give somebody the opportunity to have a baby and you're going to throw up for two weeks, that doesn't seem like a really big payoff. Like that seems like quite a small sacrifice to make to give somebody something that they've yearned for, for in the case of my recipients, nine years. Mm. So, and um, notwithstanding that sort of agony for you, you went back and did it again. So how many families have you now donated to? So in total, um, I currently have nine families um, and then I have my own family. So I breached my donor family of 10. After my first recipients I donated to a second couple and that yep. couple actually separated about six weeks after my donation and as a result uh, they didn't achieve a pregnancy with my eggs um, however she did go on to have a baby with the donor eggs of another woman and I actually attended her birth um, as a doula so oh, that wow. was quite a, a nice um, sense of completeness because I wasn't able to donate to her again because I'd considered that because I'd already been so unwell during the cycle with her for the second cycle that I did, um, 
I actually assumed that I probably wouldn't donate again. And she didn't really want me to put myself through that level of nausea and vomiting. And so she then went and found another egg donor. Mm. Um, so it was, it's quite lovely to still see her and to have a connection with her and her child, even though I'm not genetically related to them in any way, shape or form. Mm. Um, and it was really nice to be able to support her as a single mother by choice after her and her husband separated. That's lovely. So I'm aware that you have donated to a number of couples in Sydney. Was there any point where you thought, I don't want to go outside of Melbourne and just want to stick local? And what changed? Uh, so I was part of the Egg Donation Australia Forum and I was reading through um, the ads on there. So after my first uh, donor um, child was born, uh, um, I actually ended up doing a second cycle for my first couple they actually asked me and I was on the verge of refusing to, to do another cycle for them. And in the end, I ultimately couldn't say no because I was quite committed to helping them have a child. And despite them being concerned about me being so unwell and me worrying about um, how my body would cope. And also my partner at the time being incredibly concerned about my health and well-being, and not wanting me to donate again based on my reactions beforehand. Um, I felt that I couldn't really say no to them so I ended up donating to them and then they subsequently had a child and it was at the point that they had their their child that it I suppose sparked in me the thought process that I provided a lot of joy to one couple and um, that despite being really unwell during my IVF cycles that it was quite a small price to pay and I suppose I figured that at some point I would find an end point um, but my interest was peaked and the sense of satisfaction that I had from bringing some joy was quite overwhelming and um, gratifying. And so I started reading the ads. I ended up finding a few more couples in Victoria and then I ended up finding a couple in Sydney that um, I really resonated with. And I messaged them and um, had a lot of discussions with them and they, we were actually at that point considering that my partner at the time who's female was going to be their egg donor and we started to go through the process for her being their egg donor. And it got to the point where we realized that it was actually not the wisest option for her to be an egg donor um, based on her profession and her commitment and also her physical health. And so I ended up offering to substitute my eggs because I'd already fallen in love with them as a couple. Um, so that's how I started to become an egg donor in Sydney um, and interstate. And I suppose the, the thing for me was that um, I knew that in Sydney that they have donor registries. I know that they have quite strict protocols. Um, I know that they have policies um, that ensure that there is a lot of bureaucratic paperwork that means that a child can always process, find information about research and connect with their donor, whether that's a sperm or an egg donor. And I knew that in Victorians and in New South Wales that um, I would be quite well protected so that was, I, I suppose, for me, the thought process is, is that Sydney is not a very far distance from Melbourne and it's relatively easy to go up and visit for a weekend. And so I thought, you know, this could be quite a nice scenario. Um, and also, realistically speaking, I have couples already um, at that point who had children in Melbourne um, who I probably saw three or four times a year. And I thought, you know, I, it wouldn't be difficult for me to come to Sydney three or four times a year to connect with and spend time with my recipients and their children. Mm. Um, and also it was a case by case basis, really. I think once you find a couple that you really connect with, 
it doesn't really, it's irrelevant where they are. They could be in Tasmania, they could be in, in Perth, they could be in Darwin. And it's about the connection that you feel and the desire that you have to be able to help them and support them in their journey to parenthood. What was it like the first time that one of the donor conceived children was born? What was that like for you? Um, it was pretty amazing. I think I was a little bit um, concerned about how they would feel about me meeting their child. Um, I, I was really willing to take a, a back seat and wait until they were ready to have me meet their child. And they seemed like they were a little bit unsure about whether or not they would want me to meet their child quite quickly after birth. Um, they rang me about three hours after she was born and said, um, we've had our baby. Um, you know, she's really beautiful. We'd love it if you could come to the hospital and meet her today. So I think that for them, that overwhelming sudden realisation that actually she's theirs and that whether or not I met her now or in the future was irrelevant because I, there was no ownership. And I think that they realised that I just wanted to share their joy, but also they wanted to share their joy with me. Um, and I had, you know, I mean, I, I was trying to be really moderate, but I was incredibly... Um, enthusiastic about seeing what their baby would look like because you know what your own children look like you can't ever imagine what they'll look like before they're born but once they're born all you want to do is is look at them and examine them and drink in how they look and what the genetic expression is between yourself and your partner or yourself and your donor um, and I suppose that for me I really wanted to be able to look at her and see whether or not I felt the same way with her that I felt with my own genetic children um, that I'd given birth to. Uh, so. And how did you feel? What, did you feel like it was the same bond or is it completely different? I felt like I was meeting the child of some people I really cared about and that she was really lovely. And I felt a sense of genetic pride, but I, I mean, I, I don't have any nieces or nephews, for instance. So I don't understand how it really feels to be like, an auntie for example and I, I do now because I'm effectively an auntie to all of the children born from my eggs and I'm called Auntie Amber and they all call me Auntie Amber um, but I suppose I part of me wondered whether or not I would feel a sort of really strong bond to them but I actually feel that it's about the role that you play in how much time and input you have into actually caring for a child in their day-to-day -day life so for example, in my, in my professional life, I work as a, as a private nanny. So I have worked for families for, in some instances, up to seven years. So if you're caring for someone else's child five days a week for seven years, that's an incredibly strong bond. So when I compare, for instance, the children that I care for on a regular basis and love and cherish in a professional role, I probably feel more, more connected to them than I would do to my donor children, purely because the roles are very different. And I think it's also about if you're playing a parental role or whether you aren't and whether that's a paid parental role or whether that's an unpaid parental role as a parent. Um, I, I couldn't really see myself feeling the same way about my donor children that I feel about my own children because I just don't have the same level of intimacy, I suppose, with them as well. I think part of the bond that you form with children is based on intimacy and connection and if you don't have that access and that regular connection and regular time with them, then it's always going to be a slightly distant relationship that isn't, it, it's never going to be as close as a parental relationship.
And I sort of assumed that that would be the case. And I think that that um, has been proven because I, I really love the children that have been born from my eggs, but I don't feel any more strongly towards them than I would do for any of my friends. Um, and I babysit up quite a few, a few of them and I spend a lot of time hanging out with them and I sometimes offer parenting advice, but I don't ever feel like I am playing a parental role or that I'm anything more than a genetic contributor who also happens to be an awesome auntie. What do your kids think about you being an egg donor? My children are really proud of their half brothers and sisters. They like to talk to people about the fact that their mum is an egg donor and that they have um, half brothers and sisters or dibblings as we often call it. So some of my recipients will refer to my children as their child's dibblings, so their donor siblings, and others will call them a half brother or sister. And that has, um, that varies with each of my different recipients. Um, my children really enjoy having time to spend with and bond with their um, dibblings. And I think that my favorite thing was with the second child born from my eggs, a little boy, we met him on the day that he was born and my daughter would not stop staring at him in his little, um, you know, the little cot at the hospital. And she just stared and smiled and stared and smiled and stroked his head and touched him. And then she got to hold him and she just, again, couldn't, couldn't stop smiling and just like beaming love into him. And when we left, and we were sitting in the car and she was in the back seat and we we're driving home. And it was night and it was dark and she, just her voice from the back seat. She said, I just love him so much, mum. I, I, I really do. I love him so much. And I said, yeah, he's, he's really lovely. Babies are really special. And she said, yeah, she said, maybe I love him so much because we hung out together when we were eggs. <laughs> and <laughs> we all had a laugh. Because, I mean, she was, she was about six and a half at the time. And I think for her, um, the, the image in her mind was that they'd actually been like little eggs hanging out, talking to each other, and that that was where their bond came from. Like for mm -hmm. her, that was a really natural thing. So I still really like that story. And I, I like the idea in her brain that that was why she thought that they loved each other, that they, you know, they had this sort of experience hanging out as eggs together. That's lovely. Um, I've been reflecting on this a lot lately, so I'm interested in your thoughts. Your expectations as an egg donor at the beginning and how it's played out in the last five or so years. Um, do you think it's met your expectations or has it been completely different? And what's that like? So some of my recipients, um, I suppose the people that I chose as recipients as my first recipients are quite different from the people who I've chosen as my um, very last recipients who've taken my last family spots. So I think that um, my ideas about relationship and friendship has evolved and that what I would like and what I would like to commit to um, has changed a fair bit. So I think that originally I was cautious about overstepping. I didn't want people to feel that I was being pushy about my role. I didn't want people to feel that they, um, I guess, were sort of forced to maintain something that didn't feel natural. I wanted to make sure that the ball was in their court. And I think that um, in subsequent donations, I realised that I needed there to be an actual much more natural friendship with my recipients and that it wasn't just based on, um, I have eggs and you need eggs 
So um, if we could hang out and you, you're happy to, to keep talking to me for the next 18 years, then let's do this. I think that it, it became more and more refined. And I suppose it was a little bit like dating. So, you know, when you first start getting into relationships with people, you're not really sure about what you want and what works for you and what you're comfortable with. And then as time moves on, you realise that you um, tend to, I guess, um, find yourself being attracted to people who um, meet your needs and who I guess you gel with and click with um, in a really natural way and that you could see yourself having a connection and a friendship with them for a very long time. So with some of my recipients, um, I'm really close. Um, I sometimes speak to them on a daily basis. I get photo updates. I talk to them. I visit them. I babysit. Um, I, you know, we, we give hand-me-downs. Um, I give parenting advice. Uh, they tell me all of their crazy stories. Um, I'm, a, I'm a shoulder to cry on. Other times, um, I have found that I've donated to a couple who have changed um, after I've donated. I donated to a couple who I knew that I would not have a deep a relationship with, but who were committed to an ongoing relationship. And I actually donated to them because of their surrogate. Um, I knew that their surrogate had been trying for a very long time to have a baby for them and that the embryos that they'd used hadn't worked and that they were really um, committed to having another child because they wanted their child to grow up with a sibling. And I understood that. Um, that's one of the reasons why I had two children. I wanted my son to grow up with a sibling, which is a bit moot point now because he has seven half siblings. <laughs> mm. um, so I suppose from that perspective, the reasons that I've chosen my recipients have evolved and changed but also my relationships with my recipients have evolved and changed. So with my, some of my recipients who I ended up being a little bit distant with, um, I've subsequently tried to put in a lot more effort to try and connect with them and to form a deeper connection because I wanted it to be a very natural and easy thing. And I wanted to be a regular background figure in their lives for their children. But I also wanted them and their children to be a regular background figure in the lives of my children, because I feel it's really important for them to have a connection. And so um, that has been difficult at times. And with some of my recipients, there's been um, periods where it's been quite difficult to connect. And there's even um, been uh, experiences at, at some points where one of my recipients um, decided to withdraw for quite a while. And they had to process a lot of uh, stuff that was happening with them around their child and how strongly their child resembled me. I think that there was a lot of unresolved grief um, about especially the mother not being able to have a connection to her own genetic bloodline. And I think that she felt really strongly about her heritage and that the loss of that was quite significant. Um, so maybe perhaps for a period of six months, um, we didn't really see each other much, but they sent me a lot of photo updates and um, we kind of then circled back and found a way to connect and we now have a really nice, easy relationship. Um, we're not close, but we see each other four or five times a year. And when we hang out, it, it's really nice. The children connect really well. They play like um, there's no tomorrow and um, they kind of just tear around. I don't, I don't get a look in. My, um, my children are much, much more interesting than I am. I'm sort of like this, you know, um, kind of vaguely interesting human who's just another adult. Children aren't really that interested in other adults. I mean, they, lo they love cuddles and they love hanging out and they love the interest and they love, 
you know, having a bit of fun. But realistically speaking, my children are much more interesting to my donor babies than um, I am at this point. I suppose it would probably um, change a lot as the children grow older and become more intellectual and develop more of a sense of who am I and what makes me me and where do my traits come from and um, which bits do I get from which person. Mm. I'm interested in your experience of uh, the egg donor counselling that you did way back when you started. Do you feel like that oh, yeah. really prepared you for everything that you would go through with egg donation and being um, the egg donor for people that go on to have children? I felt that the donor counselling that I had was really um, not in-depth enough. I actually felt that I came more more prepared to the process than the council was. I think that I had considered a lot more um, factors and I had really considered, I'd probably questioned a lot in my own mind about what was right for donor conceived people. And that was the driving factor behind me becoming an egg donor. Um, it wasn't just that I wanted to help some people have babies. I actually was thinking about the fact that we're making future adults. And so that was always, um, the starting point for me. I found that a lot of um, the donor counselling came from a, a space where the donor counsellors weren't particularly um, informed about um, people who were using a known donor. I think that it's still quite an unknown area. And so I think that the clinics have a lot of counsellors and they're often quite transient. So there's, I, I probably in, at one IVF clinic over the course of four cycles saw seven different counsellors and this was in the space of about two years so the fact that they didn't have um, a committed donor counsellor who really had a lot of experience um, was a bit troubling for me at times because I would come to them and, and I would sort of say things like you know how do we navigate this in you know when there's 10 year olds and um, they're asking questions and the recipients haven't really considered this um, and haven't processed it you know what at what how do we support the children and the counselors would sort of kind of be a bit perplexed and say, Oh, well, we'll, that, well, we can all, we can work that out later. I mean, we're more concerned about whether or not you want to, to be at the birth, which for me was an absurd question because I mean, the, the thought that I would feel entitled to be at the birth of a child simply because I'm genetically related to them is ridiculous. You know, I don't, I don't, I would never assume that anybody I'm, I'm related to would want me at their birth and I would ask to be um, invited. So the fact that somebody who has connected with me on the proviso that they need an egg donor and I'm an egg donor and we're forming a nice relationship, I would never assume that they would want me at their birth. But um, a lot of the counsellors projected a sense of ownership and a sense of entitlement into the relationship um, that I was, I was hoping to achieve with my recipients. And I found that really a little bit um, insulting at times. So I, I think I had that, a very similar experience from memory where one counsellor wanted to know what were my expectations about receiving news of uh, a donor ba baby being born. And I think I was on the same page as you, thinking what's well, their news to tell me? It's just my friends are having a baby and it happens to be a genetic link to me, but it's still their experience and I don't want to um, impose myself on that. And I do think that in some circumstances that, yeah, the counsellors might be just ticking boxes and and not as experienced with the motivations of donors or known donations and how they really work in reality. Yeah. So I found that after my first cycle and I sort of understood that the lack of insight and the lack of, I suppose, 
thought that had actually gone into their questioning. I think a lot of it is based on, you know, do we think this person is reasonable and responsible? Is this person sane? Is, does this person have significant mental health issues? Um, is this person doing this for the right motivating factors? I think that that's really all that they wanted to know. But I think there was also this really strong undercurrent of curiosity because I was an unknown factor for them. And particularly when it became evident that I was going to donate to more than one or two or three families, I then became some sort of anomaly. And I actually had um, a few counsellors make a disparaging comment to me um, in my fourth cycle. One of them actually said, um, oh, so, you know, you're donating to, um, you know, a third couple now. Um, and we just wondered whether or not um, you'd, you know, you'd considered if it's healthy to be a serial donor. Wow. And I found that really fascinating um, because I, for me, whether I'm helping one couple or whether I help nine couples, it's irrelevant. Um, for me, it's about what's right for me and about my capacity to be able to help people and also my motivating factors for being an egg donor. Um, for me, it seems like such a waste to not donate your eggs if you're able to. So once I'd once I achieved three or four families, for me, it was, it made more sense to just continue until it didn't feel right for me. Or I, I suppose I felt that it was having a negative impact on me, me physically or emotionally. Mm. I'm interested Whereas, in your thoughts on um, what may be known as a serial donor, something like Joe donor that we've seen, seen on 60 minutes. And I'm aware of uh, many circumstances where a sperm donor has actually donated so many times that there's, you know, hundreds of kids born from their donations and many of them don't know each other. So what's your perspective on that sort of donation levels that go to the point where nobody can keep track of each other and kids don't know, you know, who are their diblings and who are they related to? Well, I think that for me, that was one of the reasons a why I became a, a prolific um, I'm, I'm doing, you know, inverted commas. Um, why I became a, you know, a serial donor is because I wanted to ensure that people had open access to a donor and that their children would have open access to that. And I knew that uh, a lot of people, especially, you know, six years ago, were not able to find an egg donor in Australia. And so I, my, I felt a sense of responsibility in terms of, I suppose, preventing people going overseas and pursuing um, anonymous gametes and then having subsequent children who didn't have access to um, information about their identity, information about where their roots are, information about their genetic background, information about their medical history, relevant information that is often left off of paperwork when you are talking about commercial um, gamete donation. And I suppose the concern for me is that when somebody is doing something for financial gain, then I'm fully aware that it is. it would be much simpler if you were, for instance, a 20-year-old college student in the States. It would be much simpler to leave a lot of information off your background history because you might think that they, they would then reject you as an egg donor and that would reduce your capacity to earn $10,000. I mean, it's actually not usually $10,000. It's something like $5,000. I think a lot of people think that egg donors in America get a lot more than they do. And all of the evidence that I've looked at actually suggests they get far less. Um, the concern that I have had for a long time is that you have an incredible can of worms there if you are looking at hundreds of children that are related to each other 
who are unaware that they're related to each other and who have no actual solid concrete evidence to be able to connect them aside from now things like DNA testing. Do you have any advice for any recipients that are out there and needing to look at um, a gamete donation to conceive their own child? I think my thought process about children has been that the more um, people loving a child and being in their life and celebrating them is um, always in the best interest of a child to be incredibly loved and incredibly celebrated and supported and cared for. And I think that anybody who is concerned about the input and the connection that their child might have with their donor um, probably has never actually considered how much joy they are going to receive from having all of these connections with um, their donor and their donor's children and potentially their donor's extended family um, and being able to look at the genetic ties that they have and celebrate that with their child. Um, I think that for me, when people can embrace um, where their child has actually come from and their roots and embrace the person that donated to help to make their child um, a reality, then their child is never going to grow up with a sense of shame. And I suppose that um, I feel like a lot of people that um, go on to use anonymous or unknown gametes um, are avoiding, trying to avoid an issue which is actually a non-issue and it actually only becomes an issue because they are assuming it's going to become an issue. So they're sort of planting the seed of, of a mighty problem um, while they're trying to avoid a problem which might have never actually cropped up in the first place. Mm, that's great. And what would your advice be for somebody that's considering becoming a donor? Um, I would say do it. I think that if you don't have any genetic conditions, I think if you have finished um, having children of your own or you consider that it would not negatively impact upon your fertility to donate and then subsequently have children, um, I cannot see any negatives to being an egg donor. Um, I've had some emotional times with my recipients. I've had some difficulties, but by and large, this has been a really wonderful experience. It's, I've certainly received much more um, personally in my life from being an egg donor than I've ever given simply by doing IVF cycles and donating my gametes. Um, I think I, I assumed that I would be helping some people and I would get some warm, fuzzy feelings, but I never considered that my children would be now loved by an extra 20 people and whom that they would now have a bunch of awesome uncles and aunties who are concerned about them and who ask about them and who spend time with them and who connect with them and who love them. Uh, and particularly for me, um, as somebody who lives quite, um, I suppose I'm isolated from my family of origin. My, um, all of my family members live in different States from me and we very rarely see each other. And, um, my closest sister actually lives overseas now. Um, so for my children, having a sense of extended family, um, extended with an egg <laughs> it's um it's quite a lovely um i guess totally unconsidered positive effect that we've had and um our lives would definitely be um, much lesser if i hadn't been an egg donor I wanted to thank Amber for sharing with us her perspectives as an egg donor. I have listed some donor resources and information on the website about egg donation specifically and also about gamete donation generally. 
You can go to my website at sarahjefford.com. You can also find me on Facebook and on Instagram.